You're listening to The Ecopreneur Show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs and creatives on how they can make a positive and meaningful impact in the world. I'm your host, Vanina. Every other week, I hang out with entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders that are creating real-life solutions for a more sustainable future. I feel by having raw conversations with ecopreneurs that will keep on inspiring us to take action in our own lives. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Jenica, thank you so much for being here. Um, Can you tell me about Zero Waste Wisdom? Yeah. uh, So Zero Waste Wisdom is the blog and the part-time business that I run. I officially started it Oh, back in 2015. Although, yeah, so it's been quite a few years now, I guess five years. Um, I had it under a different name originally, though. I started as a blog called College Girl Compost. um, And that felt like I grew out of it pretty quickly. And about six months in changed over to Zero Waste Wisdom. Um, But uh, yeah, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, and can you talk about what's um, what can people find when they see your blog? Mm, yeah, uh, so Zero Waste Wisdom covers a variety of topics. I primarily feature information on DIY, so lots of recipes for cleaning products, and I've hit hard the kind of cosmetic skincare industry. Um, I also have information on recycling and composting, kind of anything that falls under waste reduction, as well as information on um, kind of carbon footprint in general and how to reduce carbon footprints in other ways, not just focused on plastics and waste. Wow. And then why did you get into into sustainability? Um, I kind of stumbled into it, I would say. I was in college and wanted to pick out a New Year's resolution and saw like an Instagrammer who had done that trash in a jar challenge. Thought, oh, this would be a fun New Year's resolution. Um, I was not particularly involved in any sort of sustainability or environmental action before then. Um, it was not something I majored in or have studied ever formally. But yeah, I started it and did a one month challenge and then realized how much trash I was making and just kind of spiraled from there. And I started a blog like three months in and it has grown. I never expected it to be something that I would turn into like a business or even a passion of mine um, through learning more and more about waste reduction and its impacts on the planet and feeling like I wanted to get involved with like climate action it has grown and taken up a bigger part of my life. Wow, that's fascinating that it was just an Instagram blogger that really started your journey, your zero waste journey. So why did you feel like a blog was the best way to reach other people? Yeah, I wanted to have a platform that people could reference with really clear information. I felt like I had been posting a lot on Instagram before that, but I was getting the same questions over and over again. And rather than having to like individually answer the question every time, I was like, if there was a blog post that I could just direct people to, it would be there and it would be saved. So I realized it was a way for kind of me personally to collect all of the knowledge that I was gathering 
but also have a way to be able to distribute it to other people, originally friends and family, and then later people from everywhere to have access to that same information. Wow, that's crazy that you had no intention of this becoming a blog. It was just an Instagram journey that you were doing on your own. Did you have any writing experience before? I had done a blog briefly when I was an exchange student in high school as like a travel blog so my parents and family back home could keep track. Um, Going back and reading it now, it's terrible. (laughs) Um, I can't believe I published most of that. Uh, But that was all. So I'd never really focused on writing in any other capacity. You know, I'd taken English lit classes, but this was my first real dive into publishing something with the intent of people beyond my friends and family seeing it. Gotcha. Okay. And so the original name was Compost Girl? College Girl Compost. College, pardon Mm -hmm. me, College Girl Compost. Okay. So you said quickly you decided that the name was not working. How did you make that transition from College Girl Compost to Zero Waste Wisdom? So I realized that in picking my name, I had kind of picked my target audience um, unknowingly. And so I was directing all my information towards students in college, which was where I was at at the time. But really quickly, I realized that this was going to be something I wanted to continue for multiple years, if not throughout my life. And I needed a name that was going to represent that and be able to follow me through each of the steps in my life. Um, and by then I'd been introduced to the zero waste movement. So I started playing around with versions of that. Um, and I did a lot of research online to a, make sure there wasn't already a blogger with a similar, uh, well, with the exact same name, um, and kind of toyed around with those. But I realized I just needed something that was going to be able to extend across populations, across different areas, um, and not reflect that kind of young starting out. You know, I also thought girl was not the most reflective of me after a while. I'm like, I'm a woman. I would like something that reflects all parts of me and, you know, that I target all audiences. Totally. And so, okay. So the blog has been running for five years now? Yes. Four wow. and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, what what's your viewership like now? Like how, how many people um, are on the site or mm-hmm. also how many? Um, yeah. And also if you can talk about your sponsors too or the people that you work with also. Yeah. Um, so currently Zero Waste Wisdom is both kind of like a blog entity um, where I run like Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook pages in addition to the blog, as well as like a name that I use to offer workshops. So it kind of has this dual piece, this online as well as this in-person. And the online blog, viewership for me has fluctuated because I've always been blogging while I was in school. So I've never really not been trying to balance all of these things. And so I average about 5,000 to 10,000 viewers a month. Um, I'm trying to get it to stay at the 10,000 and it really is reflective of how much I'm posting. It's basically the biggest thing I've learned. The more frequently I post, the bigger my viewership is. Um, And as soon as I stop posting, it drops. Um, So I've been trying to post a lot more. Yeah, frequently. is that the best advice that you give to let's say I was uh a new blogger, I wanted to start maybe a, a blog about clean beauty products. 
Is that your best advice for somebody to just consistently post? I think it's key. I think of my top advice, consistently posting and not just consistently posting, but posting frequently. So I would say trying to post at least once a week. Um, I struggle with getting more than once a week, but really people are interested in updated content and learning new things. And if they come back to your website in a month and realize that you haven't posted anything, they're less likely to come back the month after that. But if they show up and there's four new posts, they're going to be engrossed in that and keep visiting. So I think it's it really is a key part. So I have struggled with that. I think that's part of why my viewership hasn't grown as much as it could have. But once I do get into it and I have been focusing on that in the last like six months or so, it can make a really big impact really fast. Wow. Well, I definitely noticed as your friend that you're always a wealth of knowledge. You're always reading a new book. I mean, you just showed me all the books that you've been reading. I have a list of recommendations. <laughs> I have a of lot now. of recommendations. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you're, um, I feel like you're always just so current, um, staying up to date, especially on news and sustainability, kind of um, new things, new products that are coming out. How, how do you stay inspired and then also still find the time to keep on creating as your part-time? Oh, good question. I think I am always interested in learning. I think that's the big thing with blogging is that you have to be inspired and have to be learning in order to continue showing that inspiration to your readers. Um, I think where I've hit pitfalls is where I've been stuck on making content rather than writing about what I'm interested in. Um, so I would guess that I would say is that I have tried not to fight what I'm interested in. So right now I'm really interested in a lot of books and doing a lot of documentaries. So I have multiple blog posts going on all different sections of that. So my readers will get a big chunk of that information. But it's also something that I'm really excited about. Whereas if I was kind of just forcing myself every week to crank out a post and I guess not following what I'm interested in. I think that's where blogging can run down. Um, that's super fascinating because I feel like, I mean, I always think about the consistency, but I also think that it's it's interesting that you bring up the fact that it's also about the sort of energy that you have to it. Like if you actually like are interested in it, instead of being like, I need to have a post, I need to have content out there, I need to have people listening. I think it's really fascinating that it is, it's not just the consistency part. Yeah, I feel like, and maybe this is my imagination, but I do feel like readers can pick up on that. Like the posts that I'm most inspired about tend to be the posts that get the most views and get the most comments. Like those are the ones that people are asking other questions about or thanking me about. And it's probably reflective of the fact that I put so much more energy into it and either it changes my writing style or the length or I'm not really sure. I haven't done data analysis on it, but it's pretty consistent that the ones I'm excited about get the best engagement. Okay. So now that we're talking about this, what have been your most popular articles and why? Yeah. Um, a couple of them are, I had a post a while back that I wrote about my top five environmental books that I recommended. It's one of my top read posts. I'm doing an updated one now with a lot more than five. 
Um, I've seen it. It's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) Be prepared. Um, As well as um, I did a DIY mascara um, recipe, which I was experimenting for months with and like tried seven different recipes before I came out with this one. That has been one of my top viewed Um, as well as I did this step by step how to buy um, in bulk and kind of explaining what is tear weight. How do you measure like if you're going into a bulk store, what do you need to do from start to finish? Um, All of which I felt like were things that I put a lot of time into. I was really excited about. Um, but interestingly enough, kind of hit different areas. Like there's the cosmetic, the DIY, there's the practicality and also like the education research side of it. When did you start doing ads and affiliate marketing on your blog? I didn't start monetizing my blog in any way until probably two years into it. Um, I started doing workshops first before I looked into that at all. Once I, I think what was hard for me about it is that all of the ad programs I saw were for things like Amazon, um, or they required such a large viewership that I wasn't eligible for. And I just wasn't interested in participating in an affiliate program for someone like Amazon, who I just really don't believe in supporting. Um, so eventually there were small companies that grew kind of big enough to start having affiliate links that I believed in that when I discovered I would add, um, most of them have been, uh, like HTML codes that are pasted in. So not automatic ads. I have to add them to individual posts or pages one by one. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't pay for like an ad program that some websites have that automatically generate them. And did you, um, did you reach out to brands that you wanted to work with or have they reached out to you? Well, for the affiliate links, it's been some of both. Like, uh, originally I was reached out to by a specific company who saw me and said, we have an affiliate program. Are you interested? And then that kind of opened my eyes to some other ones. Um, I've definitely reached out to some brands independently and said, do you have an affiliate program because I'm directing so many of my viewers there? And sometimes they don't. And that's too bad for me. (laughs) I highly recommend they get one. Um, I would say the difference is I've also been doing a lot more like uh, paid sponsorships in terms of like product reviews. And those are always companies reaching out to me, um, which I get a lot more companies asking for than I accept uh, because I get a lot of not so zero waste requests. Yeah. How how do you how do you deal with brands that you don't have the same values with? Mm -hmm. That was really hard for me to figure out at first, um, partly because like I wanted to make money and that was I mean, it's something we need to pay the bills. It was really hard for me to figure out like what level of sustainability did I need to feel like I would promote it? Um, and so I definitely originally took some sponsorships that I probably wouldn't have taken now, but I was also learning. I feel like the best is honesty with the brand. So I've definitely written back some emails that are pretty frank and are like, I don't see how this fits. Um, you know, I have questions about your environmental practices. You don't list any of these things on your website. 
Some of the brands will respond back with really in-depth answers and really try to walk me through. Um, One of those brands I actually ended up sponsoring because I was so happy with their behind the scenes work that I realized it just wasn't something they were promoting. But also that it's a way to kind of weed it out because if the brand isn't invested in convincing me why they're sustainable or zero waste or working towards, you know, carbon neutral, I know that they're probably really not actually interested in that and just want free promotions. I think that's fascinating because I feel like a lot of bloggers especially um, and also people who just have like, you know, a podcast or something want to make that first dollar. And I think that um, it's really easy to say yes to the first sponsor or affiliate link to say yes. Um, But I think it's also important to, like you said, weed out the people that you don't, you know, you don't want to have for your for your listeners and your viewers too, because they are trusting you, you know, with your values that they're going to use a product from zero waste, you know, zero zero waste wisdom and say, okay, I want her product or I want what she's doing it because I respect her. So I think that's really fascinating that you take the time to do that because I think people can immediately just say yes. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, for a lot of people too, it might be a product that they have never tried. And I'm very against that. Like I make sure that any paid sponsorship I do, it's like written into my contract that I will be trialing the product for at least two weeks. Sometimes I've written it up to a month to make sure that it's something I would truly use because I feel like what would, I would lose trust in a blogger that I follow if I got a product under their recommendation and it was really bad. It was crappy. Um, and I never, I think I've actually, un- I think I've done that before. Yeah. And so I just really tried to avoid that and be like, it will turn away some promotions, some money, but I think in the long run, it establishes like a trust and a consistency. Um, and I think because of that, I would like to hope that I have gained more, Um, opportunities in those areas or other businesses. They're like, oh, this woman really only promotes those that are truly sticking to these values. It's worth it to pay her to promote our product. Did you find it hard at the very beginning when people were reaching out to you and you're getting like, you know, you're like, oh, you're getting so Mm -hmm. excited for the first person or, um, you know, the first five or 10 that, that reach out to you? Did you find it really difficult for that? Yeah, I definitely did. I would get so excited at the idea of it. And then I'd like click the link to their website and be like, what is this? This has nothing to do. I had a company reach out to me that wanted me to trial their plastic fake plants (laughs) and offered to ship me like a $200 plastic plant for my house. And I was like, did you even read my blog? And I wrote back, I was like, if you can honestly give me a reason why this has less of a carbon footprint and environmental footprint than a tree, go for it. But of course, they never responded. Um, <laughs> but those are the kind of things that are hard where it's like, really, they're just clicking and sending random bloggers information. And although it's so tempting to be like, that's a lot of money, it's just not worth it in the long run, you're just not going to build a viewership and a following that way. Yeah. What is that saying? Like you want to build your first 100 true followers. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want just to have 
uh, saturated a thousand that doesn't really believe what you believe, but it's having those true followers is what really matters. So I want to talk about, you said that you're on Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, you have your website too. Am I missing any other ones? Nope, that's everything. Okay, cool. I think. <laughs> All right. So if I was a blogger, what do you recommend are the best platforms to use? Yeah. Um, so last night I actually just checked my <laughs> yeah my Google <laughs> Analytics to prepare for this. Um, right. First off, if you're not using Google Analytics, you absolutely should be. It is, if you are familiar with cookies, it's one of the many cookies that is in your website. Um, but it will track it all for you and let you know exactly where all of your viewers are coming from, as well as the times of days, countries, etc. But uh, one of the things that I consistently see is that 97% of the people that end up in my website come from Pinterest. So it's like a huge percentage. And I think that has to do with Pinterest is a really huge platform. It's also a platform that's designed to lead people to websites. So like unlike Facebook and Instagram that are more about pictures or engagement right there. I get a lot of engagement on Facebook, but not necessarily a lot of carryover to my website. Pinterest is all about the photos that attract people to articles. So Pinterest is if you're not using Pinterest, you are really losing out on a huge volume of people. Wow. That's great advice for for somebody who wants to be starting a blog. Um, thanks for doing the Google. I'm looking that up before too. Um, okay. So Jenica, you've also done workshops. You've also been a speaker at the Zero Waste Conference. You, Zero Waste Conference. You've been a speaker at many other events too. I'm going to dive into the workshops. So you, that's a separate, that's another part of Zero Waste Wisdom. When did you start doing workshops? Um, I first did my first workshop about a year into my zero waste journey and kind of like six months into starting the blog. I reached out to my local library and said, I want to host a workshop uh, here in the community. Is there a process for this? I happened to know a librarian, so I had an in. Um, it was one of my best friend's mom. I was like, how do I do this? Uh, but it turns out that libraries get tons of requests uh, for those. And it's a great way to trial workshops, especially when you're first figuring it out, because uh, libraries provide them free of charge to anyone coming. So they just pay me a flat fee. And that way, even if I was terrible, the people that came, <laughs> you know, got a free workshop out of it. Um, so I really actually recommend that if people are interested in exploring kind of workshops and education, that Libraries are a great resource because they have multiple programs every week and almost always have a budget for actually paying speakers, which I really appreciate because that can be hard to spend time doing something unpaid. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to figure that out. Um, but once I started at the libraries, I realized that I really enjoyed that. I really liked the kind of face-to-face -face education and answering questions in person. So I started researching other venues. So I now I do a lot of workshops at like co-ops, so places that already have things like bulk sections and are interested in hosting me. And it was probably pretty consistently just libraries and co-ops for the first like two years. But then last year, I got enough kind of big speaker gigs kind of like at the zero waste conference to expand that horizon. So now I've done a lot of um, 
I would say, I guess, private events where companies ask me to come in and provide like an employee education day or a wellness training, um, or they have an Earth Day celebration and want me to come present. I have now done for two years, I have gone and provided the Clark County Utilities Program with training for their employees. But it all started with that library. So wow. even though it's so small, yeah, it can just, it can start small. You don't have to shoot for those big things in the beginning. And I think that's hard for people to believe, but it really can grow up to that. Totally. And okay, so why did you want to start doing workshops? I recognized that having someone face-to-face is much more likely to get follow-through than over the blog. And although I was providing information, I really wanted to figure out what were people's questions? What was stopping them from making these changes? And I felt like the best way to do that was just to be there in front of them. Be like, this is real. This is me. It's not a fake life behind some computer screen. Um, I wanted to kind of help debunk those. And I didn't think it was going to be as powerful as if I was standing there. I know that we talked about this offline, but how can you say how much you're charging now for workshops, which is incredible. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, for people listening, it is a range. I would say I would, if you're interested in that, I offer specific information, but um, my going rate for the libraries that I'm offering um, ranges from 175 to 225, depending on the cost for a workshop. Um, And that's a set fee. Um, and I cap it. So for example, I do a um, DIY beeswax wrap demo workshop and um, I cap it at 20 participants and have a set fee as well as like an intro to zero waste living workshop, which is more of like a lecture style. So it can be as big of a room as the library has also a set fee. So, but I worked up to that. I would say when I first Uh, We kind of talked about this offline, but it's really, it's really hard to value your time and your energy and ask for what you think you're worth. And it has taken me four and a half years to get up to those prices. If I could talk to myself four and a half years ago, I would say I should have done that a lot faster because that's what people are getting paid and that's what you're worth. But I know it can be really hard to do that put that price tag on it. Was that your intention when you started the blog and the workshop to have that be like a financial? No, it wasn't. Um, I'm currently a speech language pathologist and that has always been my career and my career goal. And so this was something that I was doing more out of a passion. Like I called it a hobby originally. Like now I really consider it a part-time business, but originally it was just a hobby. I think it was once I realized that I was putting so much energy into it and I wasn't going to stop putting energy that I I figured out I needed to monetize it in some way. Like it was not that I needed to, that it would be very beneficial for me to continue it in the long term if I could find a way to monetize it. Otherwise, I was going to be forced to pick something like nannying or babysitting over this, which is what I really wanted to be doing. Right. And I mean, Zero Waste Wisdom is really like the fact that you charge that much for workshops, that you have that many following is just, it's so incredible. Um, So what are the future plans for Zero Waste Wisdom? I want to keep doing workshops. I really want to keep growing what I'm offering um, and just expand kind of the topics that I've provided workshops on. I think that's something that 
kind of like as a follow-up, like after the intro to Zero Waste, like what's the next step? What about these people that are already really in it that could use that extra jump that want somebody there to help guide them through? As well as I haven't fully explored this, but kind of more doing that business style consultation, thinking kind of what I've been doing with like Clark County Public Utilities and just finding ways to bring the information into new areas, uh, either private businesses or people's homes, trying to figure out the people that aren't going to show up to my workshop at a library or co-op, how can I still get the information to them? Um, So a long-winded way of saying I want to keep doing workshops. We talked about this a little bit offline, but I would love to explore the idea of uh, stopping my job, at least stopping my job part-time and doing kind of a part-time speech-language pathologist, part-time zero-waste educator slash blogger. Um, That will probably be two or three years down the road, but I don't see zero-waste wisdom going anywhere. If anything, I see it expanding. Um, I'm toying with the idea of writing a book. We'll see if it happens. Wow. So, yeah. And what do you think, as future plans, what do you think the book will be about? Um. It's a good question. Well, I'm reading so many books right now that it's it's got me thinking like, what area of this do I want to fit into? Um, and I really, I feel like there are so many good zero waste guidebooks already out there. Like that's, and you'll see my blog posts. I've got a list of 20 of them. There's so many. And I'm not really sure I could expand that area in a lot of ways. Um, I think I am most interested right now in trying to address ways as individuals we can have change at the systemic level Um, and how we can take zero waste from a lifestyle choice to tackling the big issues of the climate crisis and kind of taking our bottom-up approach but making sure we actually go to the top because I think we get stuck at the bottom at the as an individual so often. Offline you also mentioned that um I forgot to even mention that, you know, you've been living a low-waste life for how long? Also five years? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that. Jenica has been living a low-waste life for a long time, too. Sorry, we've been friends for a while. It just It's more like just something that's a part of, the, of our relationship. So I forgot to mention that for our fellow listeners. But I remember you said you are very content with the low-waste lifestyle that you have created, that you feel like you want to do more and you want to be more on the political scale, the larger scale. Can you elaborate that a little bit more? Yeah. When I first started, when it started with the kind of trash in a jar, it was really hyper-focused on myself and it was all about what I was able to do and reduce. And over the years, I've just realized so much how much privilege I had in doing that and how much our waste is associated with our culture and our race and our economic situation and whether or not we have recycling or grew up composting. Like there's so many pieces that play into it that I started realizing that I could make all these changes, but not everyone was in the position to do the same. And rather than focusing on a, well, you should just do it anyways kind of mentality, I've started to think more about what are the larger systems stopping them from being able to have the same experience that I'm having and how can I change those? Like, how can I make sure the system is sustainable in and of itself and it's not forced upon each of us individually? 
Gotcha. And then so what what actions are you currently taking now? Yeah. So I'm getting more politically active. I have never been politically active before this. If you don't yet follow uh, Polly Barks, she's amazing and has really gotten me inspired to be politically active. So for example, I'm currently volunteering for a tax Amazon campaign that's going on here in Seattle, mostly because realizing that big corporations have a huge impact on our sustainability and the taxes that we would collect from Amazon if something like this were passed go to fund low-income housing being built in Seattle. More low-income housing in Seattle is going to reduce the gentrification and also all of those people are going to be able to access the public transportation we have in the city rather than the lack of public transportation outside of the city. So I think I think yeah, I think it's more some people might hear that and think well that's not really zero waste. How does that have to do with zero waste? <laughs> And I think my argument is that we really need to expand our definition of zero waste beyond what that jar of trash symbolizes. That was a way for us to quantify an impact on the planet. It was a way for me to help myself get inspired. But really, zero waste is about not wasting resources, not wasting energy. And those are, you know, both philosophical and physical things. So I think about that more as like, you know, our fossil fuels. We need to not be wasting all of this energy we're putting into something that's then killing our planet. Like that's just a waste of resources and energy. So I think I've just been personally trying to expand my definition of that a little bit more and figure out ways to change the systems. I love the way that you redefine what zero waste is because I think everybody now thinks it's that iconic jar with the trash in it too. And I have, I mean, if you go on my website, I still have um, a webpage that's like my trash jar. And it's a list of the four years of photos. I did a trash audit every single month. Um, and I would say that I i don't think that's a bad place to start. I think that's what inspired me to get as involved as I am now. I just think that we also shouldn't be as judgmental of the neighbors next to us that aren't getting that or their trash that low. And rather than asking them or, you know, judging them, like, why aren't they doing that? Asking the bigger question of what's stopping them and then working on those barriers. Well, the, um, I, rem- I think I told you the story, though, is when uh, Dan and I traveled to Tahiti, which is where my family's originally from. Um, I am so used to carrying a reusable water bottle. I thought, okay, I'll just find places to refill it. That is not the case in Tahiti. Everybody there drinks from plastic water bottles. And I was extremely frustrated. I almost threw a tantrum in the airport because there was no place to refill it. And I was saying, these people are making me buy plastic water bottles. And I was just, you know, storming and just, you know, being really upset. And my partner was saying, maybe you should look up why that's the case. And I realized that there is no place for clean water in Tahiti. They don't have the infrastructure for that. And so here I am being extremely mad at them when that's just not what they have in their resources and their infrastructure. So I think, 
I think it's great the fact that you're talking about those sort of situations because I think a lot of the time in the zero waste community, and I think it's definitely been talked a lot about in episodes too, the sort of shaming. Um, and I think that it's really important to not do that. I think especially in just any part of sustainability too, to know that there's so sustainability is such a, a general wor- word yeah. that there's mm-hmm. so many different ways of going about it. And to be, you know, zero waste lifestyle is like, for some people, a luxury um, when people are just trying to put food on their table, you know, and I think that I think it's w- wonderful the fact that you're opening that up for our listeners to to rethink what zero waste means too. And I think um, that example you gave of the infrastructure is a great way to think about. So someone, if they were to become politically active on that level and focus on that bigger issue and focus on um, structural change or industry change, you know, from the outside, it's like, oh, that's not zero waste. But when you think about the effects it has then on like plastic bottle use and you can think about, I think, of Flint, Michigan, and those people didn't have access and still don't have access to clean water. They're forced to drink bottled water. My judgment of that should never be on them. It should be on the system that's forcing them to do that. So I think that's how kind of zero waste and environmental activism and all of these areas can come together and and really should be thought of as one because they all have that end goal of sustainability and keeping um, keeping our planet healthy. I think sometimes we're just so interested in putting them in separate pockets. Yeah, I was just going to say that because I feel like that is the most common point, which is like, yes, there's all these political things happening, but we can do things on an individual scale. And I think they're always so um, different, you know, and people have like a like a section in between. They're like, no, it's this and no, it's the other. Um, I guess so now, now, do you think it now is the best time for people to be politically active? I think there is a growing movement. Um, I feel like now is the time when the zero waste movement and so many other environmental movements are gaining traction. And I think right now we have the opportunity to kind of break out of our individual lifestyle shells and really make comprehensive change. Because I think that, I mean, that's the goal of the zero waste movement. It's not that each person in their individual home will do all these things. It's that we don't have to do those in the first place. It's just built in. There isn't a bulk section because the only thing is bulk. So I think right now, I think it's the time. Maybe that's just optimistic, wishful thinking. But um, I do think if there's ways that you can find that kind of like waste item that you're passionate about and then turn it into some sort of initiative. Is that passing a law in your community? Is that speaking up to an employer and changing that practice? Like thinking about how can I take something that's an individual action, but then changing the system like above it so that other people get to like reap the benefits of because it's going to have a way bigger impact that way. What is the best advice you can give to a fellow ecopreneur? I think it's important to start. I think so many people out there have amazing ideas for companies or businesses or stuff they want to create. And we find barriers. We find reasons to wait. We find reasons that we don't have enough money or enough time or people are going to judge us for it. 
And I think what zero waste wisdom has taught me is that you really never know where it's going to go, but you have to start. Um, I just don't want people to put it off and then it'd be too late or have someone else have come up with your great idea or whatever it was. Um, and I think, I think blogging for me was that way to start. It was a way to document that journey and it's a way for you to get your ideas down on paper and kind of take your readers through that process. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I think that's great advice for people who really are want it to be perfect. Perfect, like it just needs to be this before I launch it. It just needs this little thing before I release it. And I think that can hold people back so many times. I mean, I've seen it happen so many times before where people have a great idea and you're like, that's a great idea. Where is it? You know? And I think that, yeah, I think just releasing it before it's ready. Right. I think so. Because also I feel like a lot of us are sitting on our couches or wherever you're sitting thinking like, maybe I'm the only one with this thought, or maybe I'm the only one who'd be interested in starting this store or starting this business. But the more I'm talking to other people, the more I realize that everyone's having these same thoughts. Like so many people are getting on this sustainability environmental zero waste train that we just need to talk about it more. And if you actually start the business, you're going to find that there are people in your community that you would have never guessed that are ready to be on board and become partners. I think we're so, we like to assume that other people are not at the same pace as us or in the same state as us. And I think more often than not, people are ready to support you, if not already like 10 steps ahead doing their <laughs> thing too. And you realize like, oh shoot, like, yeah, I could have learned a lot from this person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We need to collaborate too. I, that's what I, the other thing I would say to ecopreneurs is take advantage of the people around you that are doing similar work. Uh, Vanina and I were just discussing how it's so great to have someone in a similar field to be able to talk to, bounce ideas off of. There are amazing networks online as well as like just setting up groups that you can meet up with just to keep each other accountable on whatever it is, blog posts or your budget or your business proposal. We really need to lean on each other for support in those areas. I agree with that completely. I mean, yeah, offline. I mean, it's been, as I've been in Seattle, it's been wonderful hanging out with Jenica because it's, you can talk about so many things that you wouldn't be able to talk about. Like you have, I definitely have support and the love from other people, but it's always nice to be in the same realm with a friend that you can just talk about. Like we were just talking about like ads and affiliates for like, I think an hour or something. Yeah. And you were heading out the door. We're like, oh, oh, what about this? And there was just like all these little things that we both think about all the time. And the fact that we can kind of riff ideas off each other is just, it's, it's always nice to feel like you have um, companions and friends that are in the same boat as you. Yeah. And I think especially when it comes to those affiliate links or monetizing your blog, like don't be afraid to reach out to people, other bloggers, and like ask what they charge. I know that felt really uncomfortable. Yeah, it just, we are so against talking about money. Yeah. But really the truth is it's it's not a competition. It's about like bringing each other up. And it's important that we have an understanding of like what is our, you know, what is our kind of going rate as whatever it is, 
paid sponsorships or workshops. And I think we just need to be more open to talking about that because we really are kind of a small group. Totally. (laughs) And so I think it's important that we start bringing some of that information out. Um, And yeah, you can build each other up and learn and it can open conversations. Maybe some people will hear this and say, I'm charging way too little for my libraries. Or they'll say, I never occurred to me to even ask for that much. Right. Um, so I think I think we just need to be more comfortable with opening those conversations. I agree with that completely. I think it's it's very hard to have those conversations and it can almost be uncomfortable to have those conversations. But I think you... Like, how are you supposed to know without even asking it? We put pressure on ourselves to just, like, know it. Right. But how in the world would I know how much to charge? Like, I've never been a blogger before. Like, this, it's like, what, how do you think I would know? You can do a lot of Google searches, but trust <laughs> me, they do not help that much. Um, I cannot charge what Bia Johnson charges. It doesn't help. So, yeah, I think just being comfortable asking. I think you're very good about that, asking for the number um, or like asking to get paid. I think a lot of people don't even charge anything. And I think it's important to do that for a workshop. Yeah. I mean, it is a service and it's an industry. And I really believe in getting paid to be able to, you know, do it and support it and provide that education. And um, I will say there are definitely things I do that are unpaid and I pick those carefully. I'm not, um, I mean like the zero waste conference, like we discussed, Mm -hmm. I mean, for our listeners, I think I have mentioned it before the zero waste conference happened two years ago and it was by, um, Brian of recycling advocates and Chloe of conscious by Chloe. And they had curated a zero waste conference consisting of various speakers, including Jenica. Um, and it, and even now, two years later, I think you're still reaping a lot of benefits from just having, being a speaker at the Zero Waste Conference, right? Yeah, I continue. I just got an email last week from a woman who heard about me, um, didn't even see me speak, but heard that I spoke at the Zero Waste Conference and then went to my website and reached out and we're in discussions about hosting an event right now. Um, So the Zero Waste Conference was an unpaid event, but it was also an event that was such a big thing for the community and also for me as like a blogger and to grow my small business. So I think um, you definitely, there's no hard and fast rule that says don't ever do any unpaid work. You're going to have to, but to pick those wisely and the ones that have the most coverage and are likely to get you those paid opportunities later. Right. Okay. I know we're wrapping up, but I realized that there's one little thing like we didn't mention, which is that you're also a speaker too. I mean, we just talked about that. How did you become a speaker in the sustainability zero waste world? Hmm. I was asked to be, I guess... That's, I guess people had heard about my workshops and some of my workshops ended up becoming kind of like speaking events. Like some of them are, are set up more kind of like lecture Q&A style. And um, I knew Chloe for that event. Um, and so I knew about it and she reached out to me. But I think it's just when you're offering workshops – speaking events 
are kind of one in the same. Like I, in my head, I actually am like, I don't really think of there being a, a big difference. So speaking events are just less interaction typically, often no Q&A, um, but I pretty much adapt PowerPoints and presentation notes that I would be giving in like a more personal workshop to a bigger audience. How can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can visit my website, zerowastewisdom.com. You can also find me at Zero Waste Wisdom on Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I always love getting emails with if anyone has any follow-up questions or wants to talk more about uh, creating a sustainability blog or monetizing their blog, they can shoot me an email at zerowastewisdom at gmail.com. And uh, or contact me through my contact page on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jenica, for being on the show. Thank you for hosting me. Hey, entrepreneurs. Thanks for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, come on over and join me at The Entrepreneur Show. I'd love to hear your story and what positive impacts you're making in the world. Anyways, hope you're having an awesome day and I'll see you in the next episode.